Coog's house. All right. So yesterday we talked to St. Mary's. Uh, we've talked basketball a lot this week, but it's time to break it down from our perspective. How's the St. Mary's game going to go? You are locked on Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, the podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Angel, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater can to stop by, please be sure to hit subscribe down below. That way you can make sure the podcast pops up in your feed each and every day, and that way you can make us your first listen of the day. Welcome back to the YouTube channel as well. As we've mentioned, we are approaching 250 followers we're just actually about at the halfway point um once we get 250 followers we're gonna give away a free marcus sasser t-shirt i pulled it out to make sure that you guys can see it um you see it's nice and cool like good old rock star looking um there's a number of different t-shirts i'm still working to get the artist on um but he's got a bunch of U of H stuff as well on his etsy shop so we'll link that when all of those things happen but to be eligible to win the Marcus Sasser t-shirts for it. We just got to get to 250 uh, subscribers. So make sure you hit subscribe to help us get there. And then we're going to give it out to someone who leaves comments. So make sure you are leaving a comment. If you can't think of anything to say, question day today is what do you put on a hot dog? All right. So we're looking at three different segments today. And the first two are both going to be about the St. Mary's basketball game. The first thing we're doing is I'm going to kind of give an overview of what my thoughts are after now scouting this team for a couple days, looking at the stats, talking to Zach yesterday. If you have not checked that out, please go check out yesterday's episode. Zach gave us a break, great breakdown. He's a St. Mary's alum from their perspective. So first segment is going to be my perspective looking at after all this research. The second thing, the second segment, I'm going to look at some of the individual matchups and look at as we get to the game, what those things may look like. Hint, I think they're going to be fairly nice for the Cougs. And then in the third segment, we're going to change gears a little bit because uh, while the Houston Cougar football season feels over, I guess we have a bowl game potentially happening. We'll get more about that next week. Um, there's a lot of football news going on. Uh, people are entering the transfer portal left and right. There are conference championship games this weekend. And frankly, uh, I'm going to look at in the last segment, five different quarterbacks that are in or rumored to be entering the transfer portal that I think Houston should look at and why. But first, in this first segment, I want to look at what I think is going to happen kind of in more broad strokes, look at the St. Mary's basketball game. St. Mary's, I should point out, is a team that is fairly regularly in the NCAA tournament. Um, they're kind of the second best team every year in the WCC, occasionally the best team in the WCC, but usually the second best team in the WCC, right behind Gonzaga. Um, they kind of have like, they're not quite Gonzaga as far as national uh, mid-majors go, but they definitely always have some hoopers in the Bay Area. They got the Northern California kids and those kinds of things. But the St. Mary's Gales, I do think, are like historically a good program that kind of like you don't take lightly. I don't think we're going to have the kind of situation we saw last weekend with Kent State, right? Uh, where it looked like Houston was kind of counting their chickens before they hatched in some ways. We also found out they were sick or, or whatever, right? But yeah, you know. Um, so I don't think that happens this weekend. St. Mary's is too good that i do think however that there's a lot of talk uh bluntly in comments on these episodes 
or online where people think this is going to be a really, really low scoring game. My buddy Andy Patton, who hosts Locked On College Basketball, said he thinks on, on Twitter, he said he thinks it's going to be like 42 to 44. Like he thinks it's that kind of low scoring, lower even than our Kent State game last weekend, right? And I'm going to go ahead and say it. My prediction is not that. Um, <laughs> I do think one team scores in the 40s, and I don't think that's us. I think that the truth is this game is the kind of game where St. Mary's, both teams play good defense. I don't mean to say St. Mary's doesn't, but St. Mary's is going to kind of run in some speed they haven't really seen before. Um, interesting enough, one surprising stat for me that I'll, I'll read off because I anticipate this being more in Houston's favor and it's actually not in Houston's favor. Both teams are playing at about a similar pace. Houston is playing about 67 and a half possessions per game. St. Mary's is playing at about 68 and a half possessions per game. That's more or less in the grand scope of college basketball. When you're at this point in the season, the same amount of possessions per game. Houston's scoring a lot more points. And I think that that's important to note here is that Houston's playing again. We mentioned throughout the year tournament caliber teams or Roberts will probably be in the tournament, right? Texas Southern will probably win the swag, right? Oregon, if they're not in the tournament, someone's getting fired, right? Like that's the kind of teams Houston's lined up against. And they're scoring more points on roughly the same amount of possessions as St. Mary's. Now St. Mary's has played two teams that could end up in the tournament. I would not be surprised to see uh, New Mexico or Washington in the tournament. UW obviously was, has had years that are really good. Uh, Seattle's got a good basketball background. I'm sure there are kids on that team that look like pros or whatever. Right. Um, however, those are also the two games that they look kind of lost in. I guess they went to overtime against UW, but they were stretches of that game. It's uh, it's online. The, the it's, it's like the whole game itself is on YouTube on both those games. There were stretches of that game that it looked like to me St. Mary's was uh, a little out of their element. Uh, and then New Mexico, I think, uh, sped them up even more so. I think the indicator to me are a couple of these things that New Mexico, has play, uh, New Mexico and UW, again, were the two teams that beat St. Mary's and they beat St. Mary's while holding St. Mary's to 44.7% field goal, 33.3% three point shooting, 15 and 16 turnovers. Um, I guess I should point out that UW actually held them to 20% three point shooting. Uh, and then both games, uh, St. Mary's and both of those games is around 30 rounds of 32 and one 20 in the other. Um, and in both of those games with those stats, St. Mary's is able to get into the 60 point range. Now, I, I admittedly, one of those is an overtime game, but Houston is forcing good or better teams to noticeably more than 15 or 16 turnovers, right? And they're winning rebounding battles by, like, if you're going to only get, you know, roughly 30 rounds per game, Houston's going to get you by 15 to 20. Re- We've seen Houston do that to people, right? And so I think that what's interesting in watching those is that, like, those are stats that, they're putting up against, I would say, inferior teams to Houston and University of Washington and New Mexico. And that's like what St. Mary's is doing when they're playing teams in this weight class that's not quite Houston's weight class. And they're putting up stats that Houston has shown that they'll beat. They'll beat teams that only get 28 rebounds in that game, right? They can beat a team that can only get 28 rebounds. They'll beat a team that only shoots, you know, 35, 36% from three. And frankly, Houston's marquee defense kind of stuff. You look at their analytical stuff is actually holding teams well below their average three point shooting on the season thus far, even though it's a young season. And I think that's an interesting because I'd imagine we see a St. Mary's that shooting unless they get crazy hot, I guess uh, closer to the 20% from three, just on difficulty of shots are going to get against Houston based on what Houston's defensive analytical numbers indicate. 
Um, I'm predicting, I'm not a gambler. I say it often, but if I were, I'm predicting this score is like 64 to 45, maybe even 48. I could see St. Mary's mucking up the game and slowing it down some. And thus Houston's not running away and getting the 80 they got on Oral Roberts or running away and getting the 100 they should put up a couple days ago. St. Mary's is too good defensively to let that happen. But Houston's going to get up in the 60s because I'm not seeing anything defensively from St. Mary's either in speed on tape or numerically and analytically to indicate that they can slow them down more than they slow down UW or New Mexico. And UW and New Mexico did not apply the same kind of defensive pressure analytically or on tape that I'm seeing Houston throws. So I'm seeing that be the discrepancy that Houston will get at least the 60-ish, 65-ish points. As I said, 64, somewhere in that lower 60 range. I don't see anything that indicates to me St. Mary's will be able to break 45. And so I'm giving them 45 to be respectful, but I, I think that's the kind of game here. And bluntly, um, <laughs> I might feel differently had Houston not had the Kent State game and there was like a chance they were like going to be walking into this kind of loosey-goosey. I just don't think Kelvin Sampson is going to let that happen. I'm just betting on it. Speaking of betting on it, betonline.net is your number one source for sports betting. You get the latest odds and trends for every professional amateur league out there, from latest in football to basketball, soccer, esports. We got it all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can find those on BetOnline as well. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. We're always the fastest and easy way to get your betting fixed. You can head to the website today or on your online or mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. And this weekend, our game is happening in Fort Worth. I'll be there. If you're there, look for me. I actually kind of get into sit kind of behind the bench. It's a nice little spot. Um, but look for me. I'll be happy to talk all things Cougs or whatever. But the other big game for other people out there betting that you can find on BetOnline.net happening uh, <laughs> I guess in the in Fort Worth, but happening very much to Fort Worth is Kansas State is playing TCU in the Big 12 Conference Championship game for football. And the odds they have are TCU is got a two and a half point favorite, the over under set at 62 and a half. I'm saying hit TCU to break that and hit the over. The Big 12 is not known particularly for its defense, even though this is a better year for Big 12 defense than the past. So I'm hitting at the over on the 62 and a half. And I just think there's something in the water with TCU here. I think Sonny Dykes, uh, the new coach there, has a great understanding of what the lot, what the pressure here is and has shown throughout the season. Like he can have his guys ready. Um, obviously, they had some close calls with guys like Baylor, but I, I just feel like TCU is up to the test here and they win by more than a field goal for sure in my head. And so the two and a half feels like an easy win for TCU. So I'm taking TCU. I'm taking the over. And I think that you should too. Now, and moving into more of a player-by-player look at the St. Mary's and Houston basketball game, I think it's interesting, first of all, that we're focusing on this game because we have like a big game every weekend for a while, right? And St. Mary's is just kind of the next one. Um, But St. Mary's is a a good basketball team. So as I look at this, um, I I will say that like part of me hits the same – I'm pulling up the roster to make sure I got their names spelled correctly, but – as I look at this, I see their starters and I see Houston starters. 
And before I get into individual one-on-one matchups, the biggest difference to me will be they're a little bit taller and Houston is much, 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 much faster, right? Um, just broad stroke speaking, like Jaywan Roberts is faster than Mitchell Saxon. And I don't mean just like he probably runs a better 100 meter dash. I mean, he also probably runs from the baseline to the free throw line faster. He probably gets from elbow to elbow faster. He also two-step gallops other side of the rim faster. He just moves faster. He's more explosive. Um, I think Saxon will struggle in that matchup with Joe Roberts um, because, frankly, the intensity of Roberts is going to be hard to match and it'll be unlike anything having watched the UW and New Mexico games earlier tonight on YouTube. I admittedly went a little bit faster on the speed there in the corner. So, But I watched both games on oh, – just hit my cup. Shout out to Whataburger. I admittedly watched both those games on YouTube, and I, I don't think – I don't think Saxon's ready for what's coming for him. And he's their high scorer. Uh, he's, you know, he's their big man inside. They go to a lot of post-ups to him. But Roberts is an animal. And the other thing is that if um, Roberts were to get in foul trouble or something like that, they've got a number of guys to throw at him that all keep the energy going. Reg- Reggie Chaney, and we've seen JVA Francis some big games in the other part of the season. And JVA Francis might even be the better matchup than Reggie Chaney because of the length that... I mean, JVA, we mentioned, is like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and he has a 7'5 wingspan. Like, suddenly he's not shorter as far as sticking their hands up. And I think that that's kind of matchup that really, really quickly shifts Houston's way. And as I saw in the two losses, when that matchup doesn't go St. Mary's way, they're, they're in a world of hurt. Because then um, their, their next big scorer is um, – this kid, this Australian kid, and uh, he's like a six-five guard, Alex Dukas. Um, he's a veteran. He's Australian, and he's classic. That there's a cla- always a couple of international guys, for some reason, always from Australia or Shania. Um, anyway, he's he's to me going to draw more of the Tremont Mark matchup at least to start the game. I could also see Terrence Arsenal coming and covering him some, just because I, I think Samson's going to want to put that length. On a six-six guard, um, he plays more like a creator and point guard. So you might see Jamal Shed, but I bet they start with Tremont Mark just to give him the length and frustration. Um, I, I think the interesting thing there is that um, Dukas is is stronger. He'll probably try and put a shoulder in Tremont Mark's chest. He's posted up guards against New Mexico and Washington, so I imagine he tries to get to some of that game against Tremont Mark as well. I go back to the speed and length, and I. Even if he's given up an inch and a half and about 20 pounds, I think Tremont Mark's speed and length will cover up a lot of that ground. And frankly, Dukas has to also cover Tremont Mark on the other end. And and that that's that's where I see this really going downhill is the kind of energy that Duke is going to have to expend on both ends over the course of the Mexico game or the Washington that went to overtime. You saw him wore down at times. And I don't I don't think that that's going to bode well for him because rotating Mark and Arsenault is going to wear him down really quickly. Um, so that's a matchup, again, I think goes Houston's way. The one I think goes the most overwhelmingly Houston's way, though, and I don't mean to diminish or bash some kid um, from St. Mary's. I don't, I don't mean this negatively. Kyle Bowen, I think, will draw the Jairus Walker matchup. Kyle Bowen is listed as a you know senior forward, 6'8", 225. His 6'8", 225 looks a lot different than Jairus Walker's 6'8", 225. They're both strong. If you told me Kyle Bowen played tight end, I'd believe you. If you told me that Jairus Walker was the guy they built like a Greek god statue out of, 
I'd probably believe you. And that's the difference to me, right? That's the, that's the difference in like the structure and the way they're built across. They're both listed around 6 day, both is around 225, depending on the listing you're looking at. Jairus Walker is just a different type of athlete. Um, and frankly, in both New Mexico and Washington, there are times where Kyle Bowen's athleticism frustrated himself. And I, I don't know how to put this nicely, but if he got frustrated in those games, those games don't have a guy like Jairus Walker. Right. Jairus Walker is a bona fide pro. And frankly, had there not been a one and done rule, he might not have set foot on Houston's campus. He might, he's that kind of a pro. Right. And so I think it's safe to say that he's an athlete, really unlike the kind of guys that Kyle Bowen seen. Because even when I think about like Kyle Bowen playing against like UCLA last year in the tournament or uh, Gonzaga in the regular season of last year, he, A, Kyle Bowen did not draw the Chet matchup. So he didn't see a pro and B um, he, he didn't see a pro like this. Right. Um, and against UCLA, he didn't either. He actually wouldn't match up on Juzang. So it, anyway, um, he was not match up on Juzang. I should say. So I don't think that Kyle Bowen is going to be able to stay in front of Jairus Walker. Um, and I, I don't know that they have the ability to rotate and help over. I mentioned Saxon. Saxon did have the Chet matchup in their Gonzaga game a year ago. But also, when watching him against Mexico and Washington, he had really poor timing and when to leave. So if you put a post on the opposite block, right, that puts the, puts the post defender in no man's land. He has to either leave a 6'10", 6'8", in Houston's case guy at the backside of the rim to go cut off the drive. Or he has to make sure they protect the lob and let the, his guy dump off for a basket. He had really poor timing of that in both the Washington and New Mexico games. I know yesterday Zach said that Washington was kind of like the worst game for a lot of these guys. That's why I wanted to watch two games. But I also know that if he had trouble with the speed of New Mexico-Washington guys in that read, he's going to get put on a poster by Jarrett Walker. right? Like Jarrett Walker is going to meet him at the rim in a way that he will remember for the rest of the life because it's going to put be put all over Instagram forever, right? Um, and so I, I just I don't think that goes their way. Um, I think Logan Johnson probably gets covered by Jamal Shedd. He's a guy kind of steers their ship on offense when it's not going through Dukas, the Australian. I think Jamal Shedd eats his lunch. I will say that uh, if they're looking for like a good defender on their end, Logan Johnson, senior veteran, 6'2", 170, 175, and the listing you're looking at. He probably does a good job of keeping Jamal Shedd out of the paint. Um, Houston can just find ways to score without Jamal Shedd getting the paint, right? Because the big one here is Aiden Mahaney um, is a freshman 6'3 guard, and Marcus Sasser is about to have his welcome to college basketball moment to, for Austin Mahaney, right? Austin Mahaney is not a one-and-done type freshman going to the pros. And as we talk about on the show quite often, you know, Sasser – in a lot of worlds is a pro, right? Like there's a lot of places, if it was pre NIL or, or what have you worse, or even, you know, 15 years ago where Sasser hears he's a late first round, early second round grade and just goes to the league. Um, he got that last year and now he's back. And I don't think Mahaney's ready for that. I could see if St. Mary's needs to them putting Dukas on Sasser and trying to use like their size and length to kind of get a hand in Sasser's face a little better or whatever. My thought there is, is that that may limit Sasser's points, but Houston finds a way then with the Arsenal's Tremont Marks world to get in 
in the in the paint past other guys because they're a little bit longer suddenly on the um, Mahaney matchups. Now, that is to say, that's like my starting five or starting five when I think the matchups will be. And if you couldn't tell, I think Houston at least wins four and a half of them. And um, that that's, again, why my score in my head is something like a 20-point game, like roughly 18, 20-point game in Houston's favor. Um, I also think it's worth pointing out, and I didn't think through and didn't write out necessarily every single subs matchup, right? But I think, like, J.V. Francis or Reggie Chaney do a good enough job against Mitchell Saxon, their starting big man at uh, St. Mary's that I'm not necessarily worried about how they match up with the backup big man, right? I think Terrence Arsenault, or uh, if we could see Ramon Walker back this weekend, do a good enough job um, with that two, three spot that I'm not necessarily horribly worried about how they do with the backups um, coming in off the bench for St. Mary's. And then a matchup that I think Houston can actually exploit here that I mentioned in the pod a couple days ago is if they went huge and put Walker at the three and then had Joe Roberts at the four and then Cheney or JVA at the five, they don't lose a whole lot in size. And, you know, quite frankly, I think that very suddenly Houston has an advantage um, in speed, even with Jalen Roberts, the four, because he's he's not quite as fleet of foot as most fours at the highest levels of the college basketball, but he's not going to have a problem with Kyle Bowen. And so I think they can suddenly do that very quickly, right? And so I think Houston's kind of got this one in the bag a lot of ways. And frankly, it's the kind of game where like Houston's got to show up and be serious and go play. Um, because frankly, if they're not, they will probably fall in the rankings. We just saw University of Texas, number two team in the country, beat Creighton on Thursday night. Um, that probably puts a lot of points in their hat. Um, Houston's kind of got to win with some style points and so hold on the number one ranking because Sam Harris is not Creighton, bluntly. Right. And so to kind of keep their distance ahead of Texas, they probably need to win with some flair. That's the harder thing to me is like, can Houston win a mucky game with flair? Because if not, there's a real chance to wake up on, you know, are we, you know, are eating lunch on Monday afternoon? I guess I should say when the rankings come out and Houston gets bumped back without losing. And we'll handle that if it comes here on Locked on Cougs, obviously. But that's, I think, the bigger danger in this game outside of just like, sleepwalking the first half and you know Dukas gets hot from three and suddenly Houston's got a problem I, I think the bigger thing is is like does the pressure of being number one and the muckiness of the game hurt them long term but that's enough on basketball <laughs> and I, I don't say that very often but as we look at the football season next year um, Houston is looking to move into the big 12 Houston is also graduating fifth-year senior Clayton Toon at quarterback, and he is first-team All-American Conference. I think he's a pro. I, I think he's like a fourth, fifth-round draft pick. Um, I'm saying other people's draft grades have him as more like a later-round or undrafted rookie that makes the cut kind of guy. Um, and frankly, it might be better for him to be an undrafted rookie because then he can kind of pick where he goes, the right situation. We'll handle all that on an episode, I'm sure, in April when it happens. But I will say that Houston, in the present tense, is going to need to replace their quarterback. And I would like, in our first year in the Big 12, to have someone with some experience, right? The transfer portal and the modern version of college football allows for that in a way 
that frankly it didn't when I was growing up, right? Like everything back to when I was a child, transfers were kind of looked down upon. When I think about to like me being in high school and college, it was like you had grad transfers, but otherwise you only really transferred if like your coaches changed or something like that, right? Um, as I mentioned early on in, in a couple episodes of the show, I played small school college football and you know, we saw at the small school level of college football, guys that didn't make it at power five football would transfer back and like they wouldn't have to sit out because they're changing divisions and whatever and blah, 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 blah. But, um, in looking at the current climate in college football and the current way that transfers work, I think Houston's got to try this out and got to hit this up. So I went through five guys that I think are realistically available and in looking at five guys that are realistically available, um, I've picked bluntly five quarterbacks. I think could step in in Houston and make a difference right away. And I'm going to just going to go backwards from five to one. Um, bluntly, one of these guys is not a power five quarterback, but I think we saw him in person. And I, we, I know we saw him in person, and I think because of it, it make a chance, difference. But the first guy is a guy named Chance Nolan. He's a 6'2", 185-pound uh, kid out of Oregon State. Um now, he's originally from California. I imagine he probably stays West Coast. However, he's a pro-style quarterback, 6'2". And um, he frankly, like, I, I think, you know, in the Pac-12, we don't think of as being as, as quite as, I mean, obviously USC is USC. But I think what I like about this is he's got the kind of arm that, while it's not Clayton Toon's arm, can do a lot of the same things, putting the ball deep with speed. We are going to return guys like Sam Brown, right? So we got to make sure we find ways to, or Matthew Golden, right? We got to find ways to get those guys to football and hopefully like turn Matthew Golden into a tank Dell at wideout, right? And so like, what are we going to do there? I think Chance Nolan has the deep threat kind of arm to make those kinds of things work. Uh, 6 to 185. He's not the biggest guy ever, but I think in a pinch, he'd be a good guy to get us started in the big 12. It'd be a chance for him to start fresh at a program that, frankly, would probably be like on most teams, most people's preseason lower end of the Big 12. I don't think we'll finish there, but I think that's where people will have us next season. Um, my second pick is a kid out of Starkville, Mississippi. Um, former SEC recruit was a four-star kid out of high school and just needs to change scenery. Uh, Luke Altmeyer from Ole Miss. Um, the SIP, as they say on some T-shirts out there. I think that if we're looking at another pro-style quarterback, this is a kid that probably does more with his arm even than Chance Nolan does. And I think the other thing here to me is, is that um, I don't know that I agree with it, but there'll be people that would say that he needs to get out of the SEC and kind of play at a different air quote uh, subdivision of big time college football. And I wonder if the big 12 is the right fit for him. And frankly, <laughs> there'll be, there'll be times that we talk about between now and then is the right fit for us. Right. Um, so I, I think that Houston, a school like Houston, moving into the Big 12 with a you know vacancy at quarterback could be a big, big spot for him. I also think that um, there are some similarities in the things that I like that Kiffin does at Ole Miss that uh, Dana does as well at Houston, right? So the same kind of short throws with big gains after stuff. But I, I think that while he's got the pro arm that can open stuff down the field too, once you've pushed the defense back, he can open up the underneath stuff. So that's my thought there. Um, this next guy is a, a, uh, a dual threat quarterback. And frankly, um, I think I like dual threat quarterbacks in this 
Dan Holgerson system more. You heard me throughout the season. I think some of the Holgerson's best stuff is the RPOs to get the quarterbacks moving. And so that's my own personal bias. I don't know that's what Dana wants. I've got no indications what Dana wants. So I prefaced this, my last three guys here, three, two, one with that. But Jeff Sims of Georgia Tech, right? So Jeff Sims is a Florida guy. And frankly, as a dual threat quarterback, for quarterback, I'd say he has Georgia, I'd say he has Florida speed with Georgia Tech. Um, 6'3", 2'05", built for the part. Um, I wonder if the simple reads of the RPO stuff that Holgerson does that I've said all year I want to do more of. Um, I wonder if that's good for a guy like Sims. I think that um, he seems to be a first read, second read throw kind of guy because he's got this dynamic weapon in his legs. And it, it seemed like at Georgia Tech, it was needed to be a call here or like if it was, you know, four, three, that like he never got to it. Um, he was a four-star kid himself. Fresh to be nice. Um, I, you know, for whatever, if you are attracted to the city of Atlanta, I'd imagine you'd also be attracted to the city of Houston. <laughs> so I think that we can, we can work some stuff out there. Um, I, I admittedly think of my three dual threat guys of him as the guy kind of in third, but that also might make him more realistic. However, I think most people online, I'll tell you my second guy here is the most realistic and that's Braylon Braxton out of Tulsa. Now, Braxton is a Texan. He's from the DFW area. Um, he was a three-star prospect out of high school and um, is a, a little bit stockier, 6'2". Um, but he's a dual-threat quarterback himself. And I maybe it's because he hurt uh, Houston in a lot of ways, but I was really, really impressed with him in the Tulsa game. And Tulsa beat Houston and then turned around and blew up shop. And so they're all looking to leave. And I don't know if he'd be the long-term starter at Houston by any stretch. I think Houston could probably find a better high school kid in the 2024, five, six class. We'll talk recruiting again throughout the off season here in football. But I do think that if I were told Braylon Braxton is the starter next September, I'd feel okay about the way that the season's going to start after having seen him just hurt Houston in a lot of different ways right now I will say that he feels like a high floor low ceiling kind of guy right and he's number two on my list because number one is a much higher ceiling kind of guy um but I'm okay with that I'm okay with entering the big 12 high floor low ceiling and building this program up Dana has said as much too this program is not going to take a light switch right um you know short of drafting like, short of recruiting like we saw what Vince Young did at Texas in the big 12 right short of getting some guy like that I don't know. And he is Houston's own. So like maybe we can get some guy like that. Um, I don't know that we can necessarily assume this thing comes like Houston just goes in and wins the whole thing right away. I do think though, that I'd feel like Houston's competitive in the Texas tech games of the world in the Kansas games of the world. And I guess Kansas were pretty good start last year. Maybe we shouldn't say that Oklahoma state game, right? Those kinds of games. I think Houston would be competitive in with a guy like Braylon Braxton and we've seen the rest of Houston's roster do some crazy stuff in those competitive games. So I, I think that I'd be okay with that. But the number one guy on my list right now, and he's the number one guy on a lot of guys' list, and I guess technically I'm assuming he's in the transfer portal, is Hudson Card out of Texas. Now, Card has no path to start at Texas, right? They're clearly going Quinn Ewers, and when the Quinn Ewers thing doesn't, ha- doesn't happen, this Arch Manning kid is showing up, right? Go listen to Locked on Horns or whatever they call Locked on Longhorns that one with the burnt orange from Austin. They'll talk about that a lot. What I will say though, is, is that Hudson Carr is a four-star prospect. 
Um, he's a top tier dual threat quarterback. He's going to get attention from the Notre names of the world. Like he's that kind of a talented quarterback. Ewers and Manning just project to be that much better. Um, so I get why he's leaving UT Austin. What I think is interesting is that a we've seen Holgerson's offense be so quarterback friendly. And I have to think that that's somewhere in Hudson card set, right? You see what Holgerson did with case Keenum. You see what Holgerson did, just did with Clayton Toon most recently. And like, Oh, wait a second. I'm a much higher touted recruit than those guys. And you come to U of age, you're pissed off at Texas. You got a chance to do it right back to him potentially next year, because it looks like all indications are saying that Houston, that Texas can't actually jump at the big 12 until 2024, which means that you can beat Texas on their way out. And I think that if I'm Holgerson, I'm pitching that um, because I think there's a shot that that's enough. Right. I card kind of has that little, like, you know, st- smell and a stank or whatever. Like he he's upset about those kinds of things. And frankly, I don't think he likes that they went out and got Quinn Ewers to replace him, right? Because there was a whole Quinn Ewers at Ohio State thing for a while or whatever, right? I think if I'm reading between lines here, right, that that would be a good sell for him. And frankly, I'd be excited about the kind of things and the kind of ceiling he'd raise University of Houston to next year if they could bring him to, to the H, right? If they could bring him to third ward, I think we got a chance. Um, if you've got suggestions, A, comment on this video, or B, Find me at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter, Instagram, all the social media things, and we can talk about it there. I'll also be talking about the Houston Cougar basketball game this weekend. Again, I will be there in Fort Worth. I don't get to make it to most games, and frankly, when I'm covering games, I actually like to do it on TV better. That's a whole separate podcast in a different day, but make sure you find me at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. We'll be able to do those kinds of things and talk about all the Cougs, the Rockets, the whatever. Astros, World Series champs, whatever you want to on Twitter. If you're looking for a, first of all, thank you guys today for making us your first listen today. You got this far in the podcast and we ran a little long today. If you're looking for a second listen of the day, let me reckon, recommend Locked on Astros. Uh, Houston is, again, they just signed Jose Abreu. They just won the World Series and it looks like they may have a shot at Willie Contreras. They're doing a great job of breaking all those things down over there. So rep the H, go do that as well. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Locked on Cougs, a proud member of the Locked on Podcast Network. That means your team, in this case, the number one team in the country, every day. Go Cougs.